listening to Beyond the Game. I love you guys. love the program. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. It's a faith-based sports radio program. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. I love everything about it. The, the, the beards, the handshakes. That just means I'm never leaving my kids alone with you. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. We would be honored if you would join us. Along with Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Welcome to the Beyond the Game program, talking sports from a faith-based point of view. BTGprogram.com or at BTGprogram. We like to say it's sports talk without the trash talk. In sports, just as in life, there are teams and people who you'd like to see succeed, but inevitably they end up getting in their own way. The Uncle Billy type, if you're familiar with the movie It's a Wonderful Life, My New York Knicks seem to be this way. Sure, some of their troubles in the past have been due to poor decision-making, maybe even prideful pig-headedness at times. But let's be honest, some of it's just dumb luck. They've done a great job getting themselves into a position where they have some talented young players, tons of available salary cap space, ended up with the worst record in the league, which should have led to the top pick in the draft, but they end up choosing number three. They end up with R.J. Barrett. Not bad, but not really what they wanted Mm -hmm. in Zion Williamson. Then injuries have totally reshaped the look for free agency this offseason. And once again, the Knicks are looking at either putting off their big plans or settling for something not at all like what they originally set out for. Just dumb luck. But it's the kind of thing that, you know, it really doesn't surprise you. Because after all, it's the Knicks. There are organizations you just say that about. If things somehow this coming NFL season just go haywire for the Cleveland Browns, would it shock anybody? Of course not. No, it's Cleveland. Yeah. How many times over the years have we giggled under our breath and said, oh, it's just the Cleveland Browns or, oh, it's just the yeah. New York Mets. Browns going to Browns, Mets going to Mets. You can give New York the best pitching staff in baseball, at least on paper anyway. But somehow, the Mets are going to screw it up. Some say it's their own fault. Some say it's just dumb luck and injuries. So what should the Mets do? Of course, go out, get a trendy pitching coach, make him your manager, and everything's going to be okay. Oh, Mets. (laughs) Ultimately, the Mets will do what the Mets do. I want the Mets to do well. I really do. I love the, the Subway Series and all that. But there's a reason the Yankees are the Yankees. And the Mets are the Mets, and why the Dodgers just gave up and left town so many years ago. (laughs) In case you missed it this week, Mets manager Mickey Calloway went off on a local New York beat reporter who had the guts to say to him, See you tomorrow, Mickey. Calloway called the reporter a really dirty word multiple times and demanded he be removed. And then just to make sure things get screwy to the full standard that is the New York Mets, Pitcher Jason Vargas gets involved, physically threatens the reporter, telling him that he would knock him the blank out. How do you not love the New York Mets? Those lovable losers, the New York Mets. As any parent of a misbehaving little child would do, the Mets tell him to go say he's sorry. Sometimes, you know, you have kids and the kid doesn't really do it right and you have to tell him no to it again, this Mm -hmm. time like you mean it. Believe it or not, Callaway actually had to reassemble the reporters to try his apology a second time. You can't make this stuff up. It's the Mets, man. The Mets released an official statement slapping the wrists of both Callaway and Vargas by fining them for their misbehavior. 
Vargas has since said that not all the information is out there, seemingly in an attempt to justify himself while at the same time not getting into any further trouble. Now I'm, of course, laying it on a little thick, being just a little facetious, because in all likelihood there is some additional backstory that we're not aware of. People don't generally flip out or threaten to knock someone out for saying, see you tomorrow. Callaway has repeatedly been questioned. He's been second-guessed about his decisions. As bad as things have gone for the New York Mets this season, and with the pressure of the always-present New York media, I imagine he's getting tired. He's getting a bit frustrated, and undoubtedly, his patience is wearing thin, and, and it's starting to show. Now, Mickey Callaway seems like a nice guy. I remember when the Mets hired him, that some of what the New York press thought might be a problem for him. He's too nice. He's he's too soft for this job. Now, obviously, I have no idea if that's true or not. But after an incident like this past week, one certainly wonders. And I never like to see anyone lose their job. But it seems like it might be time for a change when it comes to the Mets. Maybe, maybe even for Callaway's own good. You hate to see a person changed, made bitter through the stress of a work environment. Sometimes maybe losing the job is the best thing for him. Callaway is in his second season with the Mets. Frankly, reporters have plenty of reason to question some of his moves. His questionable management, or mismanagement maybe, of his bullpen in particular has led to a few disappointing Mets losses this season. For example, just a couple of weeks ago, he tried to explain and justify himself. Now remember, the New York media... The beat writers are pretty savvy, so he's trying to explain why he won't use Edwin Diaz, probably his best reliever, for five outs, but using him for four is okay. In his time with the Mets, he's even mishandled lineup cards to begin the game. Now, we all make mistakes, and every other manager in baseball makes mistakes as well, but professional sports is about winning, and if he can't do the job, then I'm sorry, the Mets need to find somebody who can. But putting the in-game managerial stuff aside, the Mets need to take this more seriously than they have. In my opinion, the fine and the forced apology is just a wrist slap. It's the teacher who keeps telling the classroom if they keep it up, the next time there's going to be real consequences. Only the entire class knows those consequences are never coming, and so they act whatever way they want to. Again, I, I don't want Callaway to lose his job, but he is the manager. He is the leader. He is to be the example for every man on his roster of how to act and how not to act. He tells them and shows them how a professional baseball player should conduct themselves. He's the one who sets the bar. And if he can't live up to those expectations himself, then a change is needed. For the benefit of the Mets and for the benefit of Mickey Calloway, before things go so sideways that he's never given another chance. We learn from our mistakes. Sometimes we learn from what those mistakes cost us, and it helps us down the road. Holding Callaway accountable and dismissing him now would send a message that this is not the same New York Mets. Mets general manager Brody Van Wagenen, he's in his first year. He's a former player agent, not a front office retread. And some questioned the Mets' decision when they hired him, because this was sort of out of the box. This is a great opportunity for him to make a statement that this is not business how it used to be around the New York Mets. Absolutely. And the thing that stuck out the most from this whole situation to me is that 
that first apology or what was supposed to be an apology for Mickey, Mickey Calloway, he was joking and laughing and he was like, oh, I'm just a passionate guy and whatever, whatever, and playing it off like it was nothing. And it was like, no, you really chewed out a media member and cursed in his face and you really need to take some responsibility for that. Accountability isn't necessarily a party. I, I get it. On either end. Of course, it's hard to be held accountable and it hurts. But it's also hard to hold somebody else accountable. It's tough. It's a tough spot to be put in, for sure. But it's not helping somebody to just overlook their wrongs. I'm not saying that Callaway won't be a good manager. In my opinion, he's not one now. And I think the Mets would be doing him a favor by letting him go, letting him assess what has worked, what has not worked with his tenure during the team, and letting him learn from this mistakes. When we overlook somebody's wrongs, they're deprived that opportunity to evaluate, to improve. And as a result, they are often also deprived of the opportunity to succeed. You know, a parent's love for their child is often shown by their willingness to do the hard thing and hold their child accountable for all the reasons I just described. It's those times when parenting is really, really hard, but it's also necessary. Don't neglect it. I'd like to leave you with this biblical perspective. God is a loving father. He holds us accountable so that we can grow in our faith and in our relationship with him. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 through 11 say, For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. And verse 11 concludes, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I don't imagine there's anyone who enjoys being disciplined, but at the same time, it's for our own good as we learn and make the necessary adjustments to correct ourselves. It brings us to a place of repentance, a place where hopefully we seek to correct our ways, to get right with God. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. God wants a relationship with you. He wants an eternal relationship with you, a relationship that continues after our life on earth has ended and extends into eternal glory in heaven. But we have to repent of our sins. We have to get right with him. And while as sinners, we're unable to make restitution for our own sin, God paved the way for our restored relationship when Jesus gave his life on the cross. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his love toward us, in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ shed his blood, laid down his life to pay the penalty of both your sins and mine. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. His death and his resurrection 
make it possible for us to be forgiven of all our wrongs, to go to heaven if only we accept the free gift he offers. That free gift of eternal life in heaven is yours to accept or yours to decline. God offers you, but he leaves the choice up to you. If you want to be forgiven of your sins and spend eternity in heaven, then admit to God your sin and and ask him to forgive you. The Bible promises that by confessing our sins, God will forgive us and will cleanse us from the stain of sin. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pray to God and admit your sin and guilt. Tell him that you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and that he was buried and rose again, and ask God to forgive you, asking him to help you repent from your sins. I'll close with this verse. It's Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. I hope you'll do that today. I hope you'll give your heart to God. And of course, if we can help in any way, reach out to us through our website, btgprogram.com. Thanks for being with us. Along with Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. When St. Jude finds something that works well with a certain cancer, they share that with everybody. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. We just have to worry about helping Chandler and he's just my heart. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. If you know a high school athlete looking to become their best self, think Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We recently won six conference titles. Our teams have made three NCAA national championship appearances, and 96 student athletes were named East Coast All-Conference. And Roberts has the only NCAA Division II program in Greater Rochester. Tell the athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Welcome back into the program. Glad to have you along here on the Beyond the Game program. We're coming to you from Rochester, New York, recording from the BTG studio. But you know, you can get the show wherever it is that you are. This week, we say hello and thank you to London, England, one of the many places to download last week's program. London is hosting a two-game series this weekend, one of the best rivalries in all of sports, the Yankees and the Red Sox, basically just screwing local fans by stealing <laughs> one of their home games and forcing them to adjust their schedules if they even want to watch the game. So thanks a lot, London, England. <laughs> Though we do thank you for listening to the Beyond the Game program. And wherever it is you're listening from, whether it be on the radio or through our podcast, we thank you for being with us as well. Here's my friend Zach to give us this week's shenanigans statements. Okay, number one, Toronto Raptors GM Masai Ujiri was snubbed for executive of the year. I agree. I could not agree more. But, America. <laughs> no, seriously. No, no disrespect to John Horst and Milwaukee Bucks, but come on, man. The Raptors are not a super team, 
and yet went out and beat the best the NBA has had to offer for the last few years and beat the Bucks along the way in six games. What more could the guy have done? He put together a team, a team not stacked with super superstars like some have done and some are currently trying to do in other places, and with that team won an NBA title. I, I, I can't see it any other way. Yeah, he was snubbed. I came into this question ready to say that I agreed. Um, Being because, the diehard Raptors fan that you are. Oh, yeah, you know. But also, I mean, look, he made the trade for Kawhi Leonard that won the yeah. championship. I mean, that trade was the difference between them maybe being a playoff team and them winning the championship. But I looked into it a little more, and I saw that the voting for the executive of the year is done before the playoffs. So at that point, it was not the trade that won the championship. It was just a really good trade. And at that point, I mean, John Horst wins it. The Bucks were the had the most wins of any team in the league with 60 wins, and he was the architect of that team. So since it's basically the regular season executive of the year, I say he deserved it. Well, I, I see your point, and to that I say that the NBA is stupid for holding its voting then. And I know other leagues do the same thing. The NFL votes for for MVP before the Super mm-hmm. Stop. The playoffs matter. Absolutely. We agree on that 100%. Number two. Hey, speaking of Mets manager Mickey Calloway, truth or shenanigans, he'll be the first manager fired this season. Yeah, I, I think so. As we talked about in the first segment, it needs to happen. And not just because of the on-the-field results, though that would seem to be reason enough. Is there anyone else underperforming or has as much drama surrounding their team as Callaway and the Mets. I mean, I guess maybe the Indians are underperforming to the same mm. level, but the Indians are in no rush to let go of Terry Francona, rightfully so. Right. The Mets just seemed so content to stick with Callaway, though if the reports are true, and if GM Brody Van Wagen is secretly managing from afar, well, then it's just a matter of time, and maybe we're looking at the All-Star break. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know if he's making it to the All-Star break. But, you know, the managing from afar by the GM is not actually that rare. We've seen it going all the way back to Billy Bean and Moneyball, and a lot of teams do that. But the issue with the Mets, Brody Van Wagenen is a former agent. He's not some genius baseball mind. So I don't know that his managing from afar is actually all that good. Um, But look at Mickey Callaway. He clearly can't handle New York. You know, he snapped at a reporter who said, see you tomorrow. Uh, we don't know the context, but it seems pretty innocent on its face. Yeah. Um, look, he's snapping under pressure. The team is drastically underperforming despite having one of the best rotations in the game. I think I've seen enough. I think he needs to go back to being a pitching coach. Agree. Seems like a great guy. Needs a redo. Last but not least, adding Jack Hughes and P.K. Subban will help the New Jersey Devils go from picking first in the draft to making the playoffs this coming season. What do you think, Zach? Uh, I say shenanigans. Really? Um Obviously, they'll be much improved. Jack Hughes is a phenom. P.K. Subban, while not what he was at the height of his career, is still really good. Um, But I think the jump from where they were this past year, and I believe 10 games under five hundred, to being a playoff team, there's a path there. You know, the Penguins and Capitals are on their way down. The Rangers are still rebuilding. Um, And the Flyers are pretty good. But I just think that's a really big jump. If they improve by 10 games and they're – a 500 team, that would be a big improvement. So I think 
that's a much more reasonable goal for them than the playoffs. I disagree with you. I think they will make the playoffs. I agree with your statement. I'll tell you what, I thought the Devils played really tough at times this past season. Though they did miss the playoffs last year, they were in the playoffs for the first time in a while the year before. Mm -hmm. I think that might have been a little ahead of schedule. I think adding Hughes, the number one draft pick, I think adding Subban, I think it puts them back on schedule. And yeah, I, I do think they make the playoffs. I think there's a lot of pressure on them to make the playoffs this year because their superstar, Taylor Hall, is a free agent after the season. They do have to get that thing sorted out. They need to win while he's here. Yeah. When we come back, we'll tell you what it is that we like this week from the world of sports. It's our You Like That segment. It's coming up next. Stick with us along with Zach Barletta. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Welcome back into the show. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rick Benson. He's Zach Barletta, btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. Time to finish out this week's show with our You Like That segment. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This goes back to uh, way, way back in the spring, Zach, and I missed the story. Maybe you heard this, but I like it enough to share it now. In Georgia, 78-year-old retired Navy veteran, and one-time volleyball player himself, Lemanuel Buster, now volunteers to referee for his community's rec league. Unfortunately, his car died. But that was not an excuse for him to not fulfill his commitment to referee. Buster says, I made a commitment, and a commitment means a lot to me. I did what I knew I needed to do. I rented a car. Admiring his dedication and care, league parents, league players found out and uh, about his disabled car and responded by starting a fundraiser unbeknownst to Buster. In just two and a half weeks, they raised enough to buy him a new car, oh, a convertible cool. Chrysler Sebring. They also raised enough to pay for the registration, the plates, a bit of gas money, the commitment of a 78-year-old volunteer referee, as well as his community's care and response to help him out, is what I like this week. This week, I'm going back-to-back back with Albert Pujols. You like that story, which is not a sentence I ever thought I would say. <laughs> Last week, it was him giving his jersey to a Down Syndrome kid after the game. This week, it's what St. Louis Cardinals fans did for Pujols. On Saturday, he was back in St. Louis as a visiting player with the Angels. Crushed a home run. Cardinals fans, remember, these are fans of the home team, not of his team. Cardinals fans gave him an ovation that might be louder than any they've given their own team this year. So many times when a player leaves a team, the fans hate him seemingly for the rest of his career. But it was great to see the Cardinals fans haven't forgotten how much Albert Pujols did for that city during his Hall of Fame career. So Cardinals fans giving a visiting player an ovation. Like That's what that? I liked. This like that? We're at the end of our show. Once again, thanks so much for being with us here on the Beyond the Game program. I hope you'll join us again next week. We'll continue mixing sports talk with biblical perspectives. But here's just one more thing. As many of you know, New York Yankees slugger Giancarlo Stanton is back on the 10-day injured list with a sprained right knee, but in all likelihood, 
he's expected to be out longer than that. And this happened barely a week after he returned from an injury and subsequent setbacks that kept him out of action for, what was it, Zach, three months? I think so, yeah. At this point, Stanton has played only nine games this season. One of the highest played players in all of baseball, the 2017 National League MVP, is hitting 290, but with only one home run and seven RBIs. Stanton had a pretty good year last season, but probably not the kind of year he wanted to have, considering he is in the fifth season of a $325 million 13-year contract, his first with the Yankees after winning the MVP award. I'm sure he was looking forward to improving on last year, to living up to the expectations of Yankee fans and teammates that come with such a contract. Stanton seemed as though he was starting to get his swing back. His one home run came just the other day. You could almost see a sense of relief on his face as he crossed the plate. On top of it, the Yankees are about to take off for a series in London against the Red Sox, and now Stanton is back on the sidelines nursing an injury just as he has been most of the season. Stanton's a great athlete. He's a fierce competitor. To be watching from the sidelines has to be frustrating enough, but to have only played nine games and to have sustained more different injuries than home runs he has hit only has to add to the feelings of frustration and disappointment. Fans have started to complain and murmur, but we'll just chalk that up, the stupidity. But teammates and even fans, as well as the Yankee organization itself, is justified in feeling a little frustrated over the way things have gone this season. Nobody's fault necessarily, just frustrating circumstances. The Yankees have had a frustrating string of injuries this season. 22 Yankees have amassed a total of 1,151 days on the injured list so far this year, by far the most in baseball. That's 200 games more than the next closest team has lost to injuries. And if you need a frame of reference, last year, 16 teams finished with fewer finished with fewer days on the IL than the Yankees have tallied so far this season. And that's all of last year, 16 teams. That's insane. And if you're wondering, the Yankees have spent more than $38 million in salary on inactive players, and we're not even to the all-star break. Now, we all have circumstances which can be frustrating at times. It just seems like no matter what we do, things just keep spinning out of control or piling up against us. Remember in the Bible, Elijah felt that way. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, he says, But he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It's enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Here was Elijah, this great man of prayer, so much so that God answered his prayer and stopped the rain for three and a half years and then made it start again based on Elijah's prayer. This mighty man was now frustrated with the circumstance, so much so that he might die. During times of frustration, it's easy to forget, but we need to trust in a powerful God who, regardless of the circumstance, is still on the throne and is still at work in each of our lives. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 4 says, Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. When dealing with frustration, we can respond by asking ourselves two things. First off, is this thing my fault? Remember, Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And another is this, what can I learn from it? Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Just as we talked about earlier in the program, problems and frustrations don't have to be wasted. They can become opportunities instead of obstacles. Be encouraged. 
and use them to grow closer to God, becoming better and stronger as a result. That's it for us this week. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at the same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. Everybody.